there's nothing like talking about uh break-in stories but so uh hey what's up everybody welcome to the greatest show on facebook at two o'clock on tuesdays debatable debatable but it's it's a one of one of the best ones for sure definitely up there and we appreciate you guys joining us we're very excited about the show today but before we do anything else i need to show you something very special that came in the mail you finally got it oh my goodness so wait wait you're gonna tell everybody how so i kept getting updates so i sent you because you were uh you wrote a recommendation for the book you also were an editor for it so as a thank you i sent you what like five copies mm-hmm. I sent you five copies and i sent some to um the folks over at acgc because they helped with the cover design and i, I sent them over there they got it like a couple days later and all of a sudden mm-hmm. i kept getting updates through amazon telling me like your package kept trying to get delivered and it didn't so tell everybody like what happened there man like i'm curious yeah, so, so i i asked eric to send it to the church address and normally i work pretty faithful office hours and i would be here when they deliver things however this week i've been working from home a lot uh and so every time that our poor male lady would come to deliver this package i would not be here and the reason I have been working from home this week is because on Wednesday, my car was stolen out of my driveway. Boom. Car was stolen. Yeah. And I, I'm trying to, I got to make, I should have made this decision beforehand of how much of the sordid details we go into. You know, it's. Give us it, it all. Give, give it all to us. It's public knowledge anyways. You know, there was a front page story in our local paper. So I'll just. Really? I'll give you guys was your name mentioned too? Like local pastor. <laughs> No, 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 no. Thank goodness. We didn't get any calls from reporters. Nothing like that. Um, so what happened was at about 1.30 a.m. on Wednesday morning, there were some characters walking through the neighborhood, which is for, I mean, for uh, for decades, according to some of my neighbors, they've never experienced anything like this. And they were um, taking wallets and things out of unlocked cars. Well, our car was not just unlocked. The keys were in it. So your they, keys were in the car. Yes. Yeah. Wait. So uh, I don't think insurance covers that. Does it? It does. Believe it or not. We, really? we just have really good insurance. Thank God. So they, they took our van and we actually didn't even notice until about noon because I walk to work most days. So I don't. How close are you, do you live in a parsonage? We live in a parsonage and it's less than a mile from the church. So we finally noticed uh, about noon it was missing. And of course, we called the police and I came home. And within about four hours, they had found it. But can I tell you how they found it, Eric? Uh, yeah, yeah. Just don't show the meme. that Don't show the video that you showed me that you sent me in a text. <laughs> <laughs> they found it via high-speed chase. They, my, are they, the, these, uh, these characters took our van on a high-speed chase from the police that ended when they drove through a field and got stuck. So then um, my wife goes to pick up the van, and as she's getting there, they are starting to empty it out. And because it's our van, they're having to ask her, you know, all the stuff in the van, is this yours? And the things they were asking, are, are these yours, were mostly drugs and guns. Man. So they were... They were using our van as a drug shuttle, uh, and and they trashed it. But the the some good things to be thankful for. First of all, uh, thankful for God's protection because these people were like clearly very dangerous, and they stopped at the driveway. Mm-hmm. So thankful for that. I'm thankful that we got the van back because uh, in talking to the police, I found out that a lot of missing vehicles never get found. So that that's something to be thankful for, and thankful for the insurance that we have. I mean, I think there's lots of insurance policies that if uh, if your keys were in the car, they wouldn't cover it. Ours does. So there's a lot of things to be thankful for, and also a crazy story that I can now tell. So is it totaled? Are they going to fix the like fix the stuff that's wrong with you? I mean, who who yeah. else knows what could have happened in that vehicle? Oh. So because because we're in the era of COVID, the uh, adjusters are actually not coming out. We have to take all the pictures and send them in, and then they're going to look at them and let us know. But whether it's totaled or it's repairs, it's all going to be covered. So 
Uh, like I said, a lot to be thankful for, but also a crazy story. Dude, that is, that's pretty nuts, man. And so here I am on my end, like, dude, pick up your freaking package. Like here, you know, like the, I, the book is like seven or $8 on Amazon. I bought five of them for you. Like that's pretty much 50 bucks. I just sent and, and, and I'm like, man, is it going to go back to Amazon? Like, I don't know because they're print by demand. You know, or print on demand those books. Yeah, so, yeah. And, and um, you were, now, you were, I, now I feel kind of bad. That well, you I, were the only one thinking that this week. I had I had plenty of texts and phone calls and that I didn't answer. Uh, and I even apologized on Sunday to the congregation. I said, I'm sorry if I was a bad pastor this week, but there was a lot going on. <laughs> so I appreciate Mike in the comments today. Hey, before we... Oh, so if I'm off kilter today... Uh, I have been up since about three o'clock this morning. That is why. Um, so I, I just told Luke, like, as we were coming on the podcast, because this is kind of funny. So his car got broken into last week. So what? It was last Tuesday? Last Wednesday? Uh, Wednesday, yeah. So that's what happens when you skip the show on Tuesday. By the way, have you watched Matt's, uh, the interview with Matt? So I will tell you, while I have not yet watched it, I have looked at the numbers, and that is among our top three most viewed episodes ever. Yeah. So uh, he, I mean, he did a tremendous job talking about presidents and whatnot and faith. So anyway, um, so last night I get awoken, my wife and I do, thankfully the kids didn't get awoken. Um, we get woken up by our alarm system, our alarm system in our house. And uh, you know, I get an immediate notification on my phone. I look at my phone. It says exactly what it was. It was like the glass break sensor. So I'm thinking like glass, glass break sensor, like someone's actively breaking into my house. Right. So we got like our big dog downstairs. Um, and he's not like really freaking out. So I'm kind of like, I'm not quite sure I head downstairs to like head it off immediately. I'm thinking that if the glass break sensor just went off, um, and, and if it goes off, like the alarm immediately goes off, it's not like if you enter into your house with the alarm on that, it waits like 10 or 30 seconds. So immediately goes off. I rush downstairs thinking, that I might be able to get to the, to whoever this might be before they even get in the house. Right. I send my wife to go get, um, we may or may not have firearms in the house, but she may or may not have gotten to go to get those firearms. We may or may not have. And, uh, we're ready, man. And she was down there like lickety, like I'm headed down there. And like, all of a sudden she goes to, we may or may not have a gun safe. She, she may or may not have gone to a gun safe that we may or may not have. And was literally like, I have the video proof because we got video cameras in our house too. And, uh, thankfully there was no glass broken and, uh, we're not quite sure what happened. I mentioned it to our administrative assistant today. She said it could have been a bird flying into the window. Um, and, and, cause it is right near one of our windows and that very well could have been it. Cause there's also a bird's nest near there, but like I legit, you know, three you're thinking someone's trying to break into your house. I just sit, sat on the couch and waited for somebody um, to come through the window. I was ready, mm -hmm. man. I was ready. So I appreciate Mike Alex's victim blaming. I, you know, that's, that's something that's sort of gone out of fashion and I think it's an important thing to do. Also at some point we should, I think not today. But at some point, we should have a discussion on the um, the biblical argument for and against self-defense because mm. I had not thought terribly deeply about that until this took place, and I yeah. have been thinking about it a lot this week. Mm -hmm. You look at you looking to get some guns? No, on Wednesday I was ready to go buy a gun. I've sort of sort of come down from the ledge since then. But that's not our discussion today. Instead, we are going to hold on. We got to tell people this is. We're going to ask people. Hey, if you can, please like this video, and then share the video. Our winner for the book last week was Bill Milliner. Now, here's the thing: if you like and share the video, because there's a number of people who've done it, but I'm not friends with you on Facebook, so I can't see who it is. So those people, I can't, you know, enter into the raffle. So, uh, please like the video. I don't see anybody liking the video. Sometimes it takes a few minutes to upload it, but right. Or, or for them to, you know, reach our end for us to be able to see it. I'm asking you to like this video and to share the video. And if you do those two things, guess what, Luke, guess what's coming in the mail literally today. What? A bunch of copies, like 110 copies of my new book. Oh, snap. The one that you just got, you want to show it to everybody. So this is Eric's, 
second book in his series, Discover Ancient Truths for Today. And the best way I can describe it, let me see if I can come up with something here. Hmm. If there is such a thing as Reformed theology for dummies, this is it. With skill and brevity, Eric lays out the essential truths of the Christian faith and asks the questions that will bury those truths deep in your heart and mind. Theology doesn't have to be intimidating, nor should it ever be shallow or oversimplified. This book manages to walk a tightrope. Mr. Reynolds' writing, saturated in scripture, establishes each doctrine, line upon line, precept upon precept, as all faithful biblical teaching should. Man, that's a really good... I know, whoever wrote that is incredibly smart. Like I, now, whoever wrote that also their first attempt at writing that included some crazy uh, language. I think I think they referred to, would uh, referred to me as being eloquent, like the Westminster uh, Confession. Yeah, was, right? I, I think it was something like the brevity of Nicaea and the eloquence of Westminster. Yeah, I said no one's gonna believe that. <laughs> this is a joke. Like, let's take this seriously. Um, so, Mike, I am not pulling a Driscoll. I promise you, when I order my author copies, they don't count against uh, like my sold copies on Amazon. So, when I buy a hundred copies, which are, are are cheaper than what they're uh, for on Amazon, because I can't make them much cheaper on Amazon. Um, yeah. So uh, they don't count again. So I'm not pulling a Driscoll and I'm using my own funds. Mike, unlike Driscoll, who used his church's funds and did it not at his author price, but at the, you know, the, the, the market price, whatever you call it. Anyway. How, how not, how not to do it. Yeah. I learned from him. This is, this is the one way you don't do it. Right. Um, and in fact, I actually, if you don't want to wait, you can actually pick up copies on Amazon right now. I think the price just dropped actually to $6.99 a copy, um, which is literally like it could only get 50 cents cheaper. I made it as almost as cheap as possible. So $6.99 looks better than $6.48. So <laughs> that's literally the reason why it's $6.99. So, um, so you can go there and it's actually, if you have Kindle Unlimited, you can get it for free. Uh, yes. Yeah. Discover Ancient Truths for Today, a Theological Primer. Speaking of theological primers, our yep. subject today is on a very, very dirty word in the minds of some Christians and in the teaching of some churches. For some people, it's like a four-letter word. Yeah. As soon as you drop the word, they're like, you know, I'm out. They don't even know what it means. They just and, know it's bad. And the word, of course, is Calvin or Calvinist or Calvinism. And Eric and I, are, I think, are going to have a fun discussion today. Uh, I have in the past accused Eric of being, uh, regarding the spiritual gifts, a cessationist. And he has corrected me that he is a cautious continuationist. Yes. Well, in, in similar manner, some might accuse me of being an Arminian when, in fact, I am a cautious Calvinist. Now, some might call me a four-point Calvinist. Eric might call me a confused Calvinist. But no, I, no, that's not what I might call you. That is absolutely what I called you. In fact, I, I think I referred to you the other day with someone. I forget who I was talking to, and I referred to you as a confused cow. No, actually, it wasn't just you. It was also Tom. I refused to. Uh, I, I, I referred to Tom as a confused Calvinist. Mike, Mike, I appreciate your grace, but I wasn't actually offended. That that was meant to be a joke. I was not hurt at all by your remark, and you are correct. We should not have left our keys in the car. And we have learned a lesson not to do that again. Why have you, why have you, why, was that a normal thing? You just keep the keys in the car? It was, yeah. So I don't, I'm not going to make excuses for unwise decisions. However, we live, here's, the really, we live, here's the excuse. We live in a really safe neighborhood. My neighbor across the street said he's left his keys in his car for 20 years and mm -hmm. never. So we just got, you know, we got comfortable and careless and, uh, we will not continue to do that given recent events. But Mike, uh, I was not even uh, I was not even a little bit offended. Uh, where uh, is everyone else? Well, half of our listeners are are like the Rice family. So like so Matt Rice, who was on last week, he I think he's actually packing right now to move to North Carolina, right here. Actually, he's going to be like he's actually going to live in your parents' old house. How crazy is that? That is pretty crazy. So like so so I know we got some folks that are that are kind of yeah. busy. So. I, I think the other reason or we're sparse today is because I suspect Eric included Calvin in the title of the podcast, and uh, 
the, that sent, tends to send people running. But we are going to discuss Calvin and Calvinism today. And I'm going to attempt to be a bit of a foil because I'm the cautious Calvinist. I feel I can put Eric's feet to the fire. But at the same time, I want to, before we get into this, acknowledge um, that Calvinism and Calvin, I think, are some of the most misrepresented of figures and theological ideas, maybe in the history of the church. It uh, is crazy. It is crazy. Um, wow, Carolyn's moving next Tuesday. Carolyn, we'd love to know where you're moving to. And good luck. We'll be praying for safe travels. Uh, sorry, I cut you off. Luke. No, it's okay. No, you were you were t- you were agreeing with me about just how badly misunderstood. Yeah, and and I like I didn't know who John Calvin was until I was already convinced of God's sovereignty. Um, and then I started like del- I, I I went to Bible college and went to an Armenian school, um, uh, which is Liberty University, and. Uh, <laughs> so are you going to trampoline? First off, um, Calvin tried to help Servetus out. So um, All right, hold on, hold on. Let let's try to do this in in the spirit of John Calvin. Let's try to do this systematically. Systematically, okay. But can I just at least say like how I came to how I came to yeah. understand who John? Because uh, you had mentioned on the phone when we talked earlier that you want to handle this in two parts. So I was kind of thinking that today we'd talk a little bit more about um, Calvin, and then next week we're talking about Calvinism if that makes sense. So the way I got introduced to John Calvin and Calvinism was actually reading this systematic theology in my SIS one in SIS, uh, my SIS theo classes one and two at Liberty university. And they're Armenian. It's written by an Armenian. It's written by an Armenian dispensationalist. You can look up those terms later. I don't necessarily think we have the time to, to explain everything right now. Um, but, uh, they essentially the author's arguments against Calvinism, which again, he's introducing me to Calvin and Calvinism. I said, these arguments don't make a lot of sense. <laughs> like, he's, I think this author's a little bit off. So then I, and at that time I was already like on track through my reading of the Bible. Cause I was still fairly new into the faith. Um, I was already like tracking God's sovereignty in 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 redemption so then he starts like poking he starts trying to poke holes um (laughs) (laughs) mike oh my goodness so how am i gonna stay on track today i don't know i I, we're not gonna be able to no we're gonna try We're, we're gonna do our best so so then like i'm realizing like this guy's arguments aren't really good it was almost like when i you know going back to having Chris date on and I told him like his debate with Al Mohler about conditional immortality, I was expecting Al Mohler to have a much better argument. And then when I heard Al go just church tradition, church tradition, church tradition, I went, yeah, this, and and you got this other guy, Chris date, who's arguing from the scriptures. You go, wow, I see, I see this argument. I see where this is going. And I felt the same way with, um, with Elmer Townsend and Elmer Townsend is a great brother in the Lord but uh, I do think he's wrong when it comes yeah. to God's sovereignty and election and salvation. So um, I was kind of already there. Then I got introduced to Calvin. And then as I started reading Calvin, I got introduced to these terms. I, so he started putting words to the thoughts that I already had. I I just can't hand Mike is too good today. Um, I want to let you finish your thought, but I just need to read his comment. Uh, enough with the jokes and on to double predestination and anti-Semitism. We are going to get to both of those things today, actually. Um, so I'm less familiar with his anti-Semitism than I am with Luther. So I'm not. Co- so he corrected himself. He's talking about Luther. I actually wrote a paper, Mike. If you want it, I will email it to you. I wrote a paper on Luther's anti-Semitism um for seminary so uh it was for gordy isaac's class dr isaac who is our berkshire professor of evan christian his you know all that stuff gordon conwell he did not if i could, if I could just interject here I'd, I'd also like to throw in my two cents as far as how i sort of arrived at what you might call partial or kind of calvinism um because mm-hmm. growing up like i heard of calvin but he was sort of dismissed as a kook uh not by not by my my parents i mean uh i think my dad's probably more Calvinist than I am, um, but more so by like Sunday school teachers and, and other spiritual mentors. The, what happened was I, you know, I studied scripture and I sort of came to these conclusions about the sovereignty of God. And then I learned later in life that, oh, I'm kind of a Calvinist. Mm-hmm. Well, I think some, I think one of the, the big misconceptions about Calvin is that um, 
he's he's basically like a, a an extra biblical indoctrinator mm-hmm. when in, when in fact most calvinists ended up in calvinism through bible not through calvinism mm-hmm. yeah and and that's you know and and people make calvin out to be a boogeyman when he wasn't because they they look at him as just a systematician and they don't read his pastoral writings the the people who read calvin don't think of it even if you're an armenian and you disagree with him on everything you don't read him and go wow this guy's a rear end you go wow he loves god yeah this is where i think i want to get a little more systematic now let's start with this eric we're gonna talk about calvin today yeah we're talking we're talking we're talking about calvin but we're going to talk about calvin systematically Why don't you lay out for us what you think are the primary misconceptions and mischaracterizations of Calvin, and then we'll take them one at a time. So you said one of them that he's a systematician and not a a pastor. Right. So uh, let's be clear. He never meant to be a pastor. In fact, Calvin, what Calvin's sole desire, and, and initially he was trained to be a lawyer. So his dad wanted him to be a Catholic priest. He went to go um, to, to uh, learn how to be a priest. And then things sh- shifted a little bit. And his, then his dad changed, changed his mind and wanted Calvin to be a lawyer. And at that time, Calvin was a very submissive son. He's like, okay, dad, I'll do what you say. And so he goes to get trained as a lawyer. And then um, I, I, don't, I forget if it's after his father died that he went back to the Sorbonne and learned there, uh, which is a, a French. So John Calvin's French. Born in 1509, and he uh, went. Pause, pause for a minute, because this is one place where I think we need to acknowledge a flaw of Calvin. It is not a mischaracterization or misrepresentation that he is French. That's just a fact. And as bad as that is, we'll have to forgive him for it. But carry on with uh, your point. Uh, in fact, his name was Jean Calvin. Uh, that's J E A N C A U V I N. But it was common back then because the common language there, um, it, it, of course, he spoke French, but the intellectual language of the day was Latin. So you had to learn Latin. In fact, his institutes were first written in Latin. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, he goes to the Sorbonne, learns theology and all this other stuff, and and the Reformation starting right. So he's so there's evidence that we think like he's introduced to the writings of Martin Luther. Martin Luther, of course, you know. So fifty. So if. Uh, I, I I think Luther's like 26, 27 years older than Calvin. So by 1519, you know, the 95 thesis um, from, from Luther, Calvin is just really like 10 years old, right? So the, the Reformation's really starting to kick off. And, and um, by the time Calvin is in the Sorbonne, which is the big training school for theology, um, the Reformation's starting to kick off in France. But France was the center of Catholicism, Roman Catholicism at that time. So it, although um, the Pope, so the Pope had moved back and forth um, for some years between France and Rome. Um, so that's just a little backstory. So now, now, Brian, well, if you want the discussion of Calvinism, you have to tune in next week. Today, we're just talking Calvin. We wanted to do this subject uh, uh, due diligence, and we felt that we needed to take each subject in turn. So next week, We'll address Calvinism today. We're talking about Calvin. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So Calvin, like, he gets out of there and he's like, you know what I want to do? I want to go just study. That's all I want to do. I want to be a scholar. That's what Calvin wants to be. So, so when he leaves France, right? I forget because um, I'm not really. I forget some things like this, no, but he no was going to much. Strasbourg, I believe. I mean, as he was going to Strasbourg, there was actually like a, a an army between him and in Strasbourg. There was um, like some, I forget why the army was there, but, you know, at that time, wars were common and trying to put down rebellion. At that time, it was also a sacral society, meaning that pretty much all of Europe was uh, church and state were intermingled. Um, they, they were intertwined. They were very permeable. It was hard to see any difference between the two. So um, for, for the Reformation to be kicking off, for the Holy Roman Empire, they're concerned of like, okay, if there's a this, what we're going to call the Protestant faith, if that's kicking off, then they're going to leave our empire, right? So so that's what they're concerned about. That's the secular version, except it's still sacral. So, um, so he's on the way to Strasbourg, goes to Geneva instead, and then he meets up with Guillaume uh, Farrell. 
F-A-R-E-L. And Farrell goes, and, and at this point, I believe Calvin had already written his first iteration of the Institutes. And uh, Farrell goes, dude, we need you here. Calvin's like, bruh, I'm not about this life. I'm not a pastor. I'm going to be a scholar. I want to study God for the rest of my life, right? And anybody who's a pastor realizes, like, you're not a scholar, <laughs> right? Like, you're not just sitting in your office all day reading the Bible and studying, like, and studying Greek and Hebrew and Latin. Um, you're very much with the people and trying to communicate with the people. So, um, and there was a lot of work to be done in Geneva. So again, Pharrell says, all right, Cal, so this is what's going to happen. I'm putting a curse on you. And if you leave, um, you will never have rest for your studies. And Calvin goes, all right, man, I'm staying. So there you go. That's Calvin in a nutshell, like the early years. Mike Bassett, that might be the best idea I've ever heard. A Hamilton style musical about john calvin <laughs> i i need can we write it can we write it by the way i put some links up at the top of more information about john calvin and calvinism i'd encourage you guys to to watch it um the best biography in fact it's really thick um so it'll take you a while it's it's well over it's almost 400 pages um it's bruce gordon's just titled calvin is the definitive um, biography on Calvin. There's also one written by Theodore Beza, who was a contemporary. He was actually about 15 or 20 years younger than John Calvin. Um, he was he was kind of like his right hand man or, or his yeah. understudy, his his yeah. uh, in Geneva. So yeah, but so so you've begun to address sort of the first misrepresentation or mischaracterization, which is that Calvin was an academic, not a pastor, and ironically. I think in all of these mischaracterizations, there is a grain of truth, but it's been blown out of proportion. So it is. Uh, by the way, let me, just, let me just fix that because I don't think you yeah. articulated what I meant. Maybe I didn't say it clearly, but um, Calvin didn't intend to be a pastor. He meant to be a scholar. However, God, by his good pleasure and his providence, uh, used circumstances and people to direct him to where God de desired him to be, which was in Geneva, and to be a pastor. And by the way, he was a phenomenal pastor. People don't realize this. There's some good talks. You can, um, T, I think TGC, uh, the Gospel Coalition, did like a series of lectures on John Calvin, and they talk about different aspects of his life. And the one on him as a pastor is immensely powerful. If if we today could be half the pastor of John Calvin, I mean, it, it'd be phenomenal. It'd be, his heart for the people, um, his love for God's people is just tremendous. Yeah, and that that's I think the the part one of the two part argument you actually already made sort of part two. So part one is um, yes, he was a pastor. And in fact, um, a very faithful one. But the other thing, as you, as you've said, Eric, if you've actually read Calvin, um, you find that his work is actually very devotional, that he's not just, you know, a theological mathematician producing formulas. Uh, he, he's really giving commentary on the scriptures in the same way that a pastor or a preacher would. So I think that's one mischaracterization or misrepresentation that um, has a grain of truth that is blown into a lie. So yeah. Calvin wasn't a pastor. He was just a, I think probably the next one that comes to my mind, Eric is, and again, it's the grain of truth is Calvin was just a sacralist. He, he married church and state and uh, ruled with an iron fist. He was a dictator. I mean, libertarians like you and I, sort of uh, get a little bit tight in the in the panties when it comes to this kind of stuff. But I think the reality we need to acknowledge, is, as you have already said, is that sacralism was par for the course. So it's not that Calvin showed up and was this dictatorial sacralist. It's that the whole society saw the church and the state that way. In so fact, there, there are some church historians, a good number of them, who actually credit the founding of America because of John Calvin like America as we know it. Um, I think that might be a bit of a stretch, but um, but here's the reasoning why. Democracy was not a thing in, in medieval Europe, okay? But uh, I have not read these writings uh, firsthand, but at least I've, I've um, read people talk about the writings that they've read from Calvin. And they've said like clearly in his writings, um, the ones that they're pointing to, he was a uh, Democrat. He was a de not like a li liberal Democrat like we think, but he oh, was he someone who believed in democracy. 
And in fact, wanted to wanted to see um, the the sacral society kind of separate, where um, there would be a separation of church and state, which is very antithetical to what many people think about John Calvin. Um, they think, like you said, he he wanted everything intertwined. That wasn't the case, but he did operate within um, the context in which he was given. I mean, you can't come into Geneva right? Where you're not even a citizen there. Um, you can't come into Geneva. They ask you to be there and go, you know what, guys, you need to change your entire form of government. No, he focused on the word of God in, in the practices of the church and then had some other writings, but didn't expect those things to happen right yeah. away. But this is, this is something I think we do with history all the time, which is we take modern conventions and standards and um, we anachron- anachronistically, I'm not using that word correctly, we, we, basically, we basically just take modernity and we shove it back in time and then say anyone who doesn't meet modern standards is a terrible person. And you can say that, but by that standard, no one from before, I mean, at this point, maybe 1990, because modern standards are getting, are, are you know, the, the way that culture is changing, it's the, the change in culture is hyper accelerating. So I think you could even basically say anyone from before 2005. Uh, at this point, was just a terrible person. And if you want to view history that way, purely through the lens of modernity, you can. But it's to me, it seems an exercise in futility because you're going to have to constantly be reassessing the value of of historical figures based on what's happening today. Yeah, you you can do it, but it's not the right way you do history. That's not how you properly do history. So... um, Hey, did Calvin have his faults? <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, no one's perfect. But man, did he love the Lord and he loved the people of God. So another thing that's a misconception about John Calvin, and I don't know, if, do we want to save this one to the end? Because it's the one that's the most juicy, which is Servetus, the execution of Servetus. Nah, nah, let's just do it. Okay. So Michael Servetus was a heretic. Okay. Um, Servetus died in 1553. He had a trial in Geneva. So, so Servetus, uh, I, uh, if Bickford's in the comments, he can probably say if he, I think he was Spanish, but I'm not hundred percent sure. So Servetus was an Anabaptist and, uh, was a non-Trinitarian and it, not only was he a non-Trinitarian, but he was ardently non-Trinitarian and he, and he wasn't, he also wasn't a classically trained theologian. Um, so he was first and foremost, a medical doctor. And uh, one of the things that we do see that's common, and I don't mean this as a slight to anyone, but um, where non-Trinitarianism kind of gets its, uh, I don't know, where it gets the most traction are where the people with the least education are. Um, I mean, that's just, that's historical fact. There are exceptions to it. Listen, there are dumb people that believe in the Trinity um, or or, le- or less educated people that live in or. Um, that believe in the Trinity, but it is more common in less intellectual circles. So you have um, Servetus, who wasn't a classically trained theologian. He was a he was an MD essentially, and was going throughout Europe and kind of on the run. So there was a, essentially what would amount to a warrant for his arrest, and not and the expectation was when he was arrested, he was going to be put to death. So um, he was actually supposed to meet up with Calvin. Calvin like wrote to him and said, "Hey man, I want to get together." Um, Okay, so he was Basque, um, which I, I'm going to need the explanation from Bickford on what Basque was or is. Um, so he was, uh, yeah, so Calvin was supposed to meet up with him. Um, and he, his intent was to tell him, do not come to Geneva because you're going to get into trouble. And let me explain the Trinity to you. Like, let me help you out. Let me teach you. So a lot of people think of Calvin as someone who is like trying to shove his beliefs down people's throat. Not necessarily. He looks at the, he looks at what he's compiled in the institutes and other places and says, this is what the Bible teaches. I'm a teacher. I need to teach it to you. Right. And this is important. So, um, so he goes, uh, Servetus doesn't, doesn't uh, meet up. He kind of like blows him off. And then all of a sudden he shows up in Geneva in the middle of a sermon of John Calvin's. (laughs) 
and he was a noticeable person. People knew who he was. And um, Calvin, although he wasn't a citizen of Geneva, so he didn't have a vote. He didn't have any of that. Um, it was incumbent upon him to um, allow him to get arrested and actually said, hey, here's a fugitive. We have to arrest him because that's the law. And he was obedient to the law. That's Calvin. So he gets arrested. The Genevan city council who puts him on trial asks Calvin to testify. And, for, and I haven't read the, test, the testimony, but from uh, what I've read, the testimony is quite damning. Um, and, and it spoke only to the theology, right? So it spoke to the, um, the validity of the Trinity and that this guy was a heretic and that's it. He attempted, and I said, I miss, uh, I made a mistake a couple of weeks ago on the podcast when I said that um, he'd asked for Servetus to be burned a different way rather than slowly. He wanted it done quickly so that he wouldn't suffer. Um, I was wrong. Calvin was more merciful. He actually asked him to be beheaded so that um, he would have no pain. Um, mm. He was shot down. So Calvin's not without his own shame. Maybe he could, he probably could have done something differently, but it was a capital punishment, you know? So kind of like today, we think that murder is capital, like is justification for capital punishment. That's a widely held belief um, for, for most people, but a hundred years from now, we might disagree as yeah, a society. Well, uh, so again, again, we're getting, we're getting into this issue. It's very similar to um, I think the misrepresentation about sacralism where we're applying modern standards one thing I think a lot of people don't know is that in America, um, in the early centuries of settling America, the definition of a felony was something that was punishable by death. Hmm. So all felonies were punished by the death penalty for the first couple hundred years of our own country. Yeah, we, we got to understand that. Now, Bickford does, he, he just mentioned that... Um, he thinks that he was specifically part of the kingdom of Navarre. In, that stokes in my mind. I forget her name, but her last name was Navarre, and she was a princess in France. And she was integral in protecting many of the reformers at that time in France that had left to go to Geneva. So I, I, I Calvin had a high regard for women. Many people don't realize that. He had a very high, high regard for women. He just didn't believe that the scriptures taught that they should be pastors, which I believe you and I agree. So I appreciate that Bickford in trying to define a word I don't know, just used another word I don't know, because I didn't know what the Basque was and I don't know what Navarre is. I sort of feel like when I look up a word I don't understand in the dictionary and the dictionary definition uses a word I don't know. You have that happen quite often, don't you? <laughs> um, you actually just brought up another one, though which I think is important. And it's interesting. A lot of these misconceptions really are tied to your understanding of history, which, which is the idea that Calvin was a misogynist. And he wasn't, I mean, he, I mean, he had a, that's like calling the, the first century church misogynist because they didn't allow women to be pastors. Well, it's because they weren't because it's the, what the word of God, you know, said, but well, that's well, not let, let's even let's even give some grace and say for a moment that um, you can come to a, a biblical conclusion of egalitarianism. I think mm -hmm. you and I agree that that's that there's problems with that, but let's give some grace in that area. Let's say that you can. Even mm -hmm. so, um, again, Calvin lived in the time and the place that he did, and um, in the time and place that he did, not only were there no women pastors, there were all sorts of positions in life in work in community that women were were not only weren't allowed to hold that wasn't even a thinkable it wasn't even thinkable that women would do some of those things mm -hmm. so once again if you're going to take modernity and apply it and i found i finally found the word anachronistically then of course you're going to come to all these conclusions not only about calvin but about all sorts of historical figures um we certainly don't want to excuse sin right so for example uh luther toward the end of his life became very anti-semitic i'm not gonna use culture and time to excuse his anti-semitism i'm not gonna say well lots of people are anti-semitic therefore it's okay when luther did it that's not the point um the point is that when it comes to cultural norms things like sacralism things like the death penalty things like roles of women it doesn't make sense to pass judgment on a historical figure based on 
cultural expectations that not only weren't relevant to them then, wouldn't even exist for hundreds mm -hmm. of years. Yeah. I mean, categories change over time and you get introduced to new categories. We live in mm -hmm. categories. Are, uh, are there any other, any other big ones that you can think of? Yeah, I think people, people think that he ran the city like a gulag um, because they had what was called a consistory. And the consistory was a group of, it was all, pretty much all the pastors or a number of pastors within Geneva. Um, so, so it wasn't like Geneva had one big church and they all went to Calvin's church. No, there were, there were several dozens of churches throughout the city. Um, Calvin was just kind of the one who, um, who, who was kind of, uh, you, you could call him, he was like the head pastor. He was like the first among equals, uh, among all of them. So, um, so they would get together and when someone would bring now these pastors, I mean, they went out and they spent time with the people. So when there was an issue of sin, um, it would be brought before the consistory. And what they would do is try to provide as much pastoral wisdom as possible. That included practical steps. So uh, if you're beating your wife, um, we're going to discipline you. And you can read, um, you can read the notes of the consistory. They're somewhere online. You can read them. Very pastoral. That, like, it, it, it would be like this. If a man and wife came into your office, Luke, and said, my husband won't stop beating me. And you go, you need to stop beating your wife. And we're going to help your wife in any way we can to get you to stop beating her. Um, it would be like 100 years from now, people saying, man, that Luke Copeland, he was a real dictator. <laughs> what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, of, co of course, he's going to provide that kind of. Now, you might come to a different conclusion, like we need to involve the police. And, and OK, that's 21st century. We're taking this to the 16th century where that necessarily wasn't the case, but he's going to tell that man, you need to love your wife. You don't love your wife by beating her. You love your wife by dying for her the same way that Christ died for the church. Now people today go, how could you ever tell a husband that he needs to, you know, love his wife to the point of death? That sounds so, I don't know, unloving. No, it's biblical. You big dummy. Like, <laughs> you know, so, um, I get frustrated when people say that because they they were doing what we should be doing in our local churches, mm -hmm. right? Our elders and or our deacons get together with the pastor and say, hey, we have this pastoral, we have this issue. How do we handle it best? Yeah. And we're called to handle it within inside the church first and then yeah. move out. Now, there are certain things that we can't, like certain, there's crimes that we just cannot um, only keep inside the church. And a lot of churches get in trouble when they try to do it that way. We, yeah. we don't live in a sacral society. If we did, we could, um, but we don't live in a sacral society. So we do have to involve the, the civil authorities in, cer in certain circumstances. Yeah. And I do want to make something clear. I've, um, I've mostly sort of allowed you to correct the mischaracterizations. Here's where I will interject maybe a little bit of pushback, which is that I do object to sacralism generally. And I think mm -hmm. you can make a, a biblical argument against it. Um, However, th this where I think people go wrong is they recognize, you know, something that you could argue was legitimately wrong in the in the life of a, a historical figure, um, and and then this this is this is what I would say is probably the key mischaracterization or misrepresentation of Calvin, and and really is the mischaracterization or misrepresentation of almost any historical Christian figure you want to dismiss, which is. If they were imperfect, nothing they said is relevant to us. I mean, that, 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 that's, that's what the argument ends up becoming. Because mm -hmm. I'm actually willing, and I, I, don't, I don't know, Eric, how you feel about some of the stuff, but I'm willing to concede some, some areas where I think Calvin was very wrong. Uh, and I, I'll even say sinfully wrong. That, mm -hmm. that the way, even if the, that was the way his culture did it, and, and we need to recognize that that was the culture in which he lived and worked, I'm still willing to say it was wrong. Mm -hmm. that, however, if if the standard right for truth is purely based on the uh, life lived by the person saying it, you should never listen to another preacher again, and you should stop reading the New Testament because all of the authors, as far as we know, lived imperfect lives. Right. It's, it's such an absurd uh, standard to say, if I can identify a moral or theological 
or uh, and just any kind of failing mm-hmm. in the life of uh, a theologian or or a, a historical figure of the church, then everything that that figure offers is illegitimized. It mm-hmm. is absolutely absurd. And despite the fact that I maybe even have a harsher view of Calvin than you do, even I can see that that kind of argument essentially erases all of Christian history because no one can make the standard. Yeah, we've we've been screwing up since forever, uh, since the garden, really. Um, you know what? You know, a couple of things I think that we can really appreciate about Calvin's life. Um, you know, even if you disagree with him theologically, um, he was not a popular guy. He didn't try to be a popular guy. Uh, he did try to get his book like as widely published as possible only because he thought it was important for people to read it. He thought it was good for instruction. In fact, if you read the institutes, um, it, it's written so that people can understand what the scriptures teach mm-hmm. um, in categories, but you know what they teach. Um, but, but he didn't try to be a popular guy. Like even in Geneva, he was kind of known at, like people knew that he loved them, but it was kind of like a, He's not going to tell you what you want to hear. He's not a gregarious guy. He wasn't like, he didn't come into a room and everyone's like, Ooh, wait, I'm glad Calvin's here. It was kind of like a, Oh, there's, there's Calvin. Like not a big, you know, he wasn't treated like a big deal in that way. Um, not like a Luther. I mean, Luther lit up a room. He could tell stories for days. He was very boisterous. That wasn't Calvin. Um, so Calvin wasn't trying to be some sort of theological superhero. He literally just wanted to study the word of God and share that with people that's yeah. it um and to the point where he knew how important like his work was um so to be that self-aware it, I, I think is really cool but he actually instructed his followers to bury him in an unmarked grave so that people wouldn't make an idol out of his gravestone hmm. that's that's cool man i mean that because i'll tell you i'd love to go visit his gravestone but <laughs> i don't know where it is so he made, he made sure you couldn't yeah, yeah, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that he guards me from my, you know, from idol and and generations after him. So, um, you know, you can appreciate. And people think of him as being very dour, like very just like grimace on his face all, all face all the time because you you see these pictures of him, these portraits. He looks, he was very sickly throughout his like he he battled a, a number of ailments his entire life. He died in his early to mid fifties, mm-hmm. um, but he he could tip back a couple of glasses of wine um he wasn't afraid to do that he wasn't afraid to um to he was known not to not to include like side splitting um jokes in his sermons but he would have some kind of like dry humor in his sermons on occasion so he could tell a joke he enjoyed in fact it, it they say that um oftentimes after the worship service he would go yard bowling um to get some exercise so he did enjoy some other things uh, in life, all to the glory of God. Yeah. So that's actually another misconception shattered that he was purely a serious and dour and um, uh, unhumorous figure. I think another one, and maybe this is actually the most important one we're going to discuss today. And I'll confess something to you, Eric, because I've not read nearly as much Calvin as you have. Um, I actually I didn't. As much as I haven't read nearly as much as a lot of people have. So I'm a novice. I'm a novice. I'm not even well, close if to you're it. a novice, then I'm 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 uh whatever is un you know below the level of beginner. But I actually just learned this within the past couple months. Um one of the greatest misconceptions of Calvin is that he wrote the five points of Calvinism. Wait, you actually uh, thought he wrote the five points of Calvinism? I genuinely did, and I'm telling you, Eric, most people think that. When the the actual truth is, it was um, the followers of Calvin and the next generation who formulated the five points from the theological framework that Calvin had built. But the five points of Calvinism are uh, the the doctrines of grace are all over his writings. But the five points that we think of now, Calvin would have had no idea what you were talking about if you asked. He said tulip. He'd be like, I like flowers. You know, um, but TULIP, like, so T-U-L-I-P, which, um, which stands for total depravity, meaning that man is totally unable to come oh, to no, God. Don't, don't do that yet. We're going to do that next week. No, I just, I, I need to say, you know, because it does speak to Calvin. So TULIP, okay. total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, um, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints, which essentially all goes to the monergistic view of salvation. That's what they speak to. Um, 
that doesn't really come into wide usage, I think, until the late 1800s or early 1900s. So it's a fairly new phenomenon in the last 150 years. Um, in fact, the, some people um, look towards the canons of Dort to see the five points of Calvinism. It was a response, and, and this was in um, uh, uh, the Netherlands, I believe. And uh, it was a council in response to the Armenians coming against Calvinism mm-hmm. and, and articulating something. So it was actually in response to Arminianism and, and just trying to differentiate. This is, you know, they didn't want the Armenians or Arminius to... Um, confuse what they believed that being the reformed so calvinism doesn't even become like a a term i forget what year but it's not for another couple of generations i don't believe calvin never would have wanted the term calvinist um that would have been very embarrassing to him as and luther would have felt the same way about lutheran lutheranism so um yeah tulip if you tell people well calvin came over tulip first off calvin would say uh actually i got it from from uh, Augustine and Aquinas. Uh, also, uh, Luther agrees with me on most of these things. Doesn't agree on double predestination. Uh, so to to tag me in it because you don't like the idea that you can just willy nilly choose whatever you want in your life. Uh, take that up with the Lord because it's in the Bible. That's what he would probably say. <laughs> um, yeah. That's the Eric Standard version right there for you. So let let's do this because we want to try to keep it under an hour today. Why don't we close by each giving a pitch for Calvin in keeping in mind someone who may have held these misconceptions about him uh, for a long time. Pitch for Calvin. I mean, uh, first I'm not going to pitch a Calvinism, but I'm going to pitch a Calvin, which is uh, he is the most influential theologian. Um, You know, him, Luther, and Augustine are probably the three most influential theologians. I agree. Since since Paul, so you got Paul, you got Augustine, you got you can probably throw Aquinas in there. There are some others. People will argue with me. That's okay. But at least in my view, I think those are some of the guys that are the most influential. Calvinism has has seen a resurgence in the last twenty or thirty years. Uh, it is becoming more and more predominant, more and more common. So uh, I think in not just in Advent Christian circles, um, you know, and obviously Berkshire Christian College for a long time um, had a lot of guys that studied at West- Westminster Seminary, which is Presbyterian, Calvinist, of course, performed. So we, we've been marked by John Calvin in our denomination, whether or not we like it. It's indisputable. Um, many of our pastors, in fact, someone shared with me um, the other day, like a, a survey from 15 years ago. There was like a theological survey of pastors in our denomination for 15 years ago. Um, and like, I want to say some, somewhere around two thirds of the denomination identified themselves as reformed or Calvinist. Mm-hmm. So that's significant. I don't know what it is today. Most of our younger pastors lean Calvinistic or reformed. So um, at least familiarizing yourself with John Calvin, who he was good, the bad, the ugly. I mean, it's, it's, it'd be like growing up and going, Oh, I don't need to know who George Washington is why <laughs> um even a non-christian because he, because he owned slaves eric he owned slaves yeah. so we should never talk about him we should never acknowledge that he existed and we definitely shouldn't acknowledge anything good he ever did hashtag canceled uh here's my pitch for calvin it'll be different than eric's because um eric and i this is where we have i would say small differences for me, Calvin, it sort of fits in the same category as Augustine. Uh, and Eric mentioned Augustine, but just thinking about both their the scope of their influence upon Christian thinking, but also their kind of systematic approach to the, the way that they thought about theology. And in my opinion, um, let, me, let me say this first. I do share some, not all, but some of the aversion to philosophy and philosophical terms of, I think, a lot of Bible-only Advent Christians, where I think sometimes we can obfuscate um, biblical matters by introducing extra-biblical terms, sometimes. With that said, if you read Augustine, there is no reason not to read Calvin, because when you compare the two of them, in my opinion, Calvin is far more biblical and far less philosophical. 
uh, he he is much much closer to the to the text of scripture and much for though, though I still see some Platonian influence and some influence of uh, of the great philosophical ideas uh, of the in, the in the history of the church you know what I would say are extra biblical philosophical ideas I I would say they are far less prevalent in his writing than in Augustine's and I think maybe that's one of another one of the misconceptions that we'll probably get into more next week which is the the idea that Calvin was more of a philosopher than he was a bible teacher and that's just false who told you he was a philosopher oh Eric you need to talk to more Arminians if you think Calvin was a philosopher before he was a biblical exegete you have not read Calvin I mean you just have it um that that that's asinine um that that's like the people who think that jesus was white yeah but this Um, is this is i think what's at the heart of most of the misunderstanding about calvin most people who misunderstand calvin have never read his works yeah and in fact if i could you know someone might say if you recommended one book of calvin what would it be and um the easy answer is the institutes of the christian religion it's not. That's not the one book I'd recommend. First off, I'd tell you to go spend the $300 on his commentaries because they're well worth it. Um, in fact, uh, most people, Arminian, or if, if an Ar- Arminian cannot agree with this, then they just haven't read it they're, or they're being disingenuous. But his commentaries are pr- – by the time he wrote his commentaries, they were the best the church had up until that time, mm-hmm. bar none. Luther would say it. Anybody would like it is indisputable. It is an indisputable fact. Um, and and the thing was is you can see he doesn't get into philosophical arguments. It's sticking to the text. He's trying to unveil for his reader the truth of the text and guide them through. This is what's going on here. Is he right in everything? No. Okay. I mean, I disagree with him on baby baptism. Um, I disagree with him on, on a few other things, but. I mean, his work is just tremendous. It is well worth the money. But if you can't afford it, um, his his work in the Psalms, it, oh my goodness. If you aren't a Christian beforehand, you will be a Christian after you read <laughs> the Psalms with Calvin. Um, it, that's, it, about, that's about as glowing a recommendation as I think you could possibly make. Dude, I, I read his commentary in the Psalms and I go, did I just get saved? Like every time I read it. I feel I feel that should that that should be that that's the opposite of what you do you'd expect reading Calvin would uh, instill in a person. Well, people like think of like I, I don't know if people think this way, but this is what I think, and I don't want to mischaracterize anybody. But like, if you think Calvin went around and was like trying to see like, oh, let me see if you're predestined, let me see if you're elect, but that wasn't Calvin, man. Like, yeah, he, he was well, far more pastoral than what people think. Like, he wasn't going around and and making sure their theology was tight 100 yeah. percent um it yeah go ahead yeah well i was just gonna say that's also not calvinism which is what we're gonna get into next week so if you guys really want to see the sparks fly um next week we're gonna talk calvinism and i think because calvin the figure is so badly misrepresented i mostly just wanted to let you correct the record today but but next week we're gonna get into it a little bit more because my cautious calvinism i think is gonna rub up against your uh consistent calvinism I, i'm consistent calvin you are you're confused calvin <laughs> and, you, and i think i i think eric this will be good because i think most people are confused about calvinism yeah. so we're going to address misconceptions about calvinism next week and i encourage you to invite your arminian friends to listen because most of them don't actually understand calvinism you can disagree with calvinism but you need to make sure it's actually Calvinism and not a misrepresentation. Right. Yeah. Um, it's like when I, you know, it's like when I talk about Armenians, I often misrepresent them. Um, sometimes it's on purpose, but I usually admit that it's on purpose. Um, so anyway. Well, great show today. Thank you for correcting the record, Eric. And um, to be continued, I think this is our first two-parter. Maybe we'll do more of this in the future so we're not going 90-minute episodes. Well, hey, check it out. There are some links at the top of this video, or I don't know what you're looking at. It could be at the top or the bottom of the video. I put a bunch of links on on there. There's one that literally has a playlist of Luther and Calvin, and it's lectures that I actually had in seminary from Ryan Reeves, who was a tremendous uh, professor from Gordon-Conwell. You had Ryan Reeves? Huh? 
You had Ryan Reeves as a professor? Yeah. Dude, that, he's my favorite Christian historian. That's awesome. Go on. Well, anyway, I, click the link, Luke, and you can watch these videos, and you'll be like, man, I guess I'm no longer confused. Um, hey, hit like, smash share again. Do it. Hit like, smash share. We got 10 viewers and only six likes slash a heart. So um, you guys got to do it. So, uh, you know, tell, we're, we're trying to evangelize Cal Calvin here. We're trying to, you know, yeah, hit that link right there. Nope, right there. It's probably right there. Is there what do you think it – right there. We're going to do this. We're going to do this until we, get, until we get at least one more like. Right there. Oh, it doesn't go on your screen. Oh, we got yeah. seven. Oh, let's try and get one more. One more. We got eight viewers and seven likes. That means one person hasn't hit it. Brian, you and I disagree on a lot, so it, it brings my heart great joy that we all agree that Ryan Reeves is the man. Uh, the one person who hasn't smashed that like button, they, uh, they dropped. So anyway. All right, guys, take care. Love you. We'll see you next week.